And we're live. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Hello. We're using my computer for a change, so there might be some subtle differences. We really don't know. We're finding out together. We're entering the Mac universe today. Uh, we're also so. in a different location, not that you can tell. Looks the same to me. Um, but there's an air conditioner right there, so if you can hear that a little bit. We're thankful Sorry. for it. We are, because it's a hot one. Yeah. So for, says Rob Thomas. For anybody... <laughs> For anybody in the South, this is considered fall weather, I guess, but it's unpleasant for those of us who live in the real world. So. I don't like going outside and feeling like I can chew the air. Yeah, it's not good. It's not, it's not a good a thing. pleasant experience. The fair is next week, though, and that's usually, I feel like, strangely that's the hottest week of point, the year. But yeah, usually it's hottest. But that to me Seems always hot, was like, that was always like the last summer hurrah yeah. every year, and then it's like, okay. I'm done. I'm over it. I've been over so it many, for a while. but Like almost 20 years of spending trying to go back and forth from fair to two-a-days for football and mm. stuff. So this uh, coaching retirement, that's part that I don't miss necessarily. Right. But it's just like as a player, you know, that misery that, that you went through was, was part of it. <laughs> Not that you personally went through my, my, but, my <laughs> most miserable thing was like band camp. <laughs> but uh, that, that one would go through. Uh, well, Bandcamp too. You know, there's there's a misery that goes along with that, but there's also there's something that you love about the misery of it. You know, because well, misery loves company, and you're I all guess. you know there. There's a lot of, lot of memories there and being stuff. Being nerds so. together, so good times. Yeah, it's very very interesting. So. Um, you just got back from a trip from the Ark Encounter. Yes, Creation Museum for one day, Ark Encounter for another day. It was uh, it was a great time with uh, our, our youth group and parents, and uh, my mother got to go. It was a bucket list item for her, oh, so good. we're pretty excited uh, to be able to have that, that trip. Uh, really, one of the things that I, I just really appreciate about it is the thoroughness, that um, it's... It is soundly biblical. It is uh, soundly scientific as well. Uh, and and it, even though the, the one exhibit that I always tell people about, they've changed. So, <laughs> but they've replaced it with something else to, to take its place in the, in the same idea. But, but it deals with our presuppositions that we all have different starting points. And so um, we can look at the exact same evidence, but because of the presuppositions, the biases that all of us have. and, and Christians uh, don't, or, you know, don't deny that, or we, we ought not to deny that. Um, all of us have biases, and the atheist and the theist alike have biases. And so if we recognize that, then we're more able to wrestle with truth, to, to be able to say, okay, I'm, I'm skewed in a particular direction, and I, I recognize that. And so I can when it's appropriate, counter that, but but mostly I'm able to look at it and say, I absolutely embrace this. I, mm -hmm. I believe this is the best bias. I believe that, that my presuppositions right. are better than the presuppositions that, uh, that those who disagree with me would have. But we all have them and we have to recognize that. So as we go into it, Christians don't deny the evidence of science. In fact, uh, I believe wholeheartedly that the biblical account of not, not only origins, but uh, of what has happened since Noah's flood and, and the Ice Age and so on, um, it, that it actually fits the evidence better than, than a Darwinian evolutionist perspective, uh, specifically uh, the atheist perspective, but also many of the, um, I'm probably going to offend somebody by saying it, but the capitulations that have taken place uh, over the generations uh, trying to trying to match up a version of a biblical worldview to a secularist worldview. So we mm -hmm. accept the narrative that those who do not believe the Bible and do not honor God uh, as the primary uh, source of truth, we, we accept their narrative and then try to fit our things around that rather than saying, okay, here's the evidence. I'm not going to accept your narrative, but I am going to look at the evidence on the face of itself. What, what, what does the evidence actually say? And if I follow this, where does it lead? Right. And if, if we do that honestly, I believe that the, the evidence leads us uh, to, to a place that, that the biblical account explains better than an atheistic, secularist account. It just it, it makes more sense. It fits better. 
But um, again, we're going to all you know come to conclusions that uh, are based on our right. presuppositions, right. regardless of anything else. What was interesting to me, I'm sure you could talk for an hour about the you know what to experience there. But what was what interesting to me? What couldn't I talk for an hour about? That's true. And we've seen I mean, that on the podcast. I would already, say something, so. but like then I would I know that you could literally talk for an hour about anything, like right. Cheetos or whatever. Right. Anyway. And clearly you can't, so that it's... I can't. I could probably talk about Cheetos for now. Um, anyway, what was interesting Apparently to me... they work well as fire starters as well. I, see, I, I found that, that out about Doritos and apparently Cheetos I did know that about Doritos. Anyway, so. see, we're already starting. Um, what I found interesting about, you know, just in seeing the photos that some people have shared from, the, from that trip was the number of parents that went along. And, you know, maybe it was just for a chaperone type thing, but I... It's about an even split for right. a group. Right. Yeah. And I thought that was cool because usually you don't see that you, in, a, in a youth function. You'll see, like, you know, one or two chaperones yeah. taking care of X amount of kids. Right. Um, and not just that the parents were there to watch the kids, but you, you, I saw photos of parents and their children really sharing in these experiences. Yeah, it was good. And, yeah, that, that stuck out to me as something, especially considering what we, what we talked about last week. Um, as far as uh, Christian submission within the family and, right. you know, parenting in general and how do I raise my kids, basically. That's a nice segue you got there. Uh, it wasn't initially planned, but I went with it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I thought that was that was really cool to see as a parent, yeah. and my little guy is probably too young to deal with that, but um, I, I thought that was really cool for a parent to not just, you know, say one thing, but actually experience that with with their kids. So I think that's a huge thing kudos for, to you for parents kids to be able to see that mom and dad aren't just talking right, about right. certain things. They're actually living it. They actually believe it. And so, and, and also I think this is important. And I, maybe maybe it's because I'm beginning to homeschool my daughter that I'm, I'm seeing this even more clearly than I have before. And I I don't think I've ever not believed this. I just maybe believe it more and see it more clearly. I think it's crucial both in, in a broad education uh, perspective, but also when we're talking about discipleship, for our kids to see, to know and to see that, our, that their parents are really kind of like lead learners. It's not yeah. that mom and dad have everything figured out, right. so they're telling me, or that they're off you know, on a different existential plane, and so they don't understand what I'm going through. They don't understand my struggles or my temptations or whatever else because mom and dad are you know they they're just mom and dad they don't they don't deal with the same kinds of things but when they get to actually witness their parents walking through life with them mm -hmm. you know to to, uh, to to have parents that that uh, are coming to something like uh, the ark encounter or, or the creation museum to learn so boy I, I wish i knew more stuff and i want to be able to come and see how does this fit together because I, I believe the Bible and I trust uh, what, what I'm learning there, but I don't have answers. I don't know how to deal with the science end of it. I don't know how to work out these different things. When, when people come and argue against a young earth, I don't know what to say about it. And, um, and so to, for kids to be able to see, mom and dad don't have all the answers, but they're willing to submit themselves uh, to learning as well. I think that goes a long way sure. toward toward helping the kids to grasp a um, what do I want to say a more a, a more real life approach to this. That it's not um, it's not just a matter of uh, mom and dad have um, you know they have this perspective and I need to uh, you know just acquiesce to that till I get out of the house right. but but mom and dad are also wrestling with truth right. and as we're all walking through this together uh, we can grow together and, and it, it demonstrates an attitude of Christian submission it demonstrates a, a learning attitude a discipling attitude that that we're all on the same journey uh, parents are a little farther along on that journey uh, most of the time farther along chronologically for sure and maybe or maybe not farther along spiritually mm -hmm. but we're all on that, you know, Pilgrim's Progress, if you will, toward the Celestial City. So as we're as we're doing this, I think what you said, seeing the parents along with, uh, and, and having fun together for kids right. to be able to witness their parents 
having fun together. You know, we had uh, one of Colin, one of our uh, seniors on the trip, said probably his favorite thing about the trip was the game time afterwards. When we, when we got done, uh, you know, and we're hanging out at the hotel playing games. And, and he didn't say that because, you know, while the museum stuff was boring and the game time was right. fun, he was really enjoying the, the museum time. But the fellowship part impacted him. That was meaningful to him. And I think that's a, a big part of our, our approach to parenting needs to involve guiding our children as their elders, as their parents, but also fellowshipping with one another in front of them and fellowshipping with them, not as peers. You know, I, I think, you know, we get this line between parent and friend confused, or let me, let me correct that, parent and buddy. Mm -hmm. I think parenting involves friendship because friends care about you and and are invested in you and I think that the the fellowship of Christian brothers and sisters for children and parents to recognize that once we're in Christ we're actually brother and sister in Christ but the role of parents is different than the role of children so we don't ever want to have the the muddy waters of you know, well, we don't have to think about authority. We're, we're right. peers. We're standing on, on equal footing as far as our roles go. But we are equal in our standing before Christ. Right. We're sinners saved by grace who have now been made saints by God's decree. And, and he's changed our nature. And now we grow together. We, we work that out. So there's so much that goes into it yeah. uh, that it's really hard to be able to... Uh, it's really hard, I think... Uh, to be able to survive in this world from a secular perspective, but to parent, um, if we recognize that our primary job as parents is to bring our children to Christ right. and to disciple them, um, you can't do that unless you are in Christ yourself. You know that right. I, I just saw a PragerU video. Maybe you've seen it. It came out recently. Um, that had a <clears throat> excuse me, a family therapist uh, who was talking about how do you deal with things like death with your children if you don't believe in God and religion and, and life after death and so on. And her advice as a as a therapist and from a secular perspective, and I don't have any idea what her right. personal spiritual right. background is, but the secular therapy perspective that she said she always gives is if as a parent you don't believe and you're trying to deal with these things with your kids fake it mm. and I heard that and I'm like okay I, I get what you're saying because her point is you have nothing to offer if you know right, to your children right. they whether you believe it or not they need more than just you go into the ground and your worm food and that's the end of your existence forever. That's not something that, that kids process well. Mm -hmm. So her point is whether it's true or not doesn't matter. It's practical, it's helpful. So from a pragmatic perspective, you pretend to believe and you tell your children these fairy tales. And I could not disagree more because yeah, kids have a really good lie detector yeah, built into do. them. They, they know when you're faking it. Yeah. So, and, and when parents are, you know, even when, when parents are in a bad space in their own relationship, kids know when you're right. faking it. Right. They, they get that. Uh, and that's a conversation for another time. But if you're going to pretend that you believe in God, you're not giving your children sufficient answers for life. Right. Religion has a place in binding back behaviors and so on, but it does not replace reality. It cannot. Right. And so if we give our children this, this made up perception uh, of, you know, I don't really believe, but I'm going to tell you this fairy tale because it's going to make you feel better. And then that's what it becomes. Better. It's just another fairy tale. Right, exactly. And, and you know, she gave the example of um, uh, when tragic things happen. You know, the right thing. You tell your children, this will never happen to you. No, mm -hmm. you're, you're safe. Nothing bad will ever happen to you. And I thought, that's the worst thing you could possibly tell them. You're straight lying to your kids. That is not helpful. You need to help them learn how to process the realities of life. And we've done this throughout history. I mean, if you look back to Middle Ages and before, where death was a much more daily experience, right, right. 
you couldn't lie, you could not, you couldn't right. get away with lying to your children to say bad things aren't going to happen to you. Right. I'm sorry it happened to them, but this will never happen to you. Mommy will always protect you. Daddy will always protect you and, and nothing bad can take place. That you couldn't get away with that because the, your daily experience didn't match up with your propaganda. Right. Now but, it's easier to keep kids in a bubble. Right, and, and we have, you know, we have all these medical advances and all, you know, the, just our economy is different. Everything is so much, if I can say, easier in, in, in so many ways. Life expectancy is like 30 years longer than what it was not very long ago. Right. So you can postpone or hide from tragedy for quite a while, but you really don't know what the future brings. And tragedy could be right around the corner. So lying to your children is... Hope you didn't come here to feel better. <laughs> I mean, that, well, I mean... No, but I go But saying, yeah. if we're trying to make anyone feel better with falsehood, right. that that's a ship that won't sail. I mean, it's... Prosperity. That, that, that dog won't hunt, as, right. they, as they say. The reality of it will eventually come up and bite you in the keister. And, mm -hmm. and you, so faking it, being... Uh, you know, telling your kids the fairy tale of belief uh, just to get through the moment is not only disingenuous and, and I would say immoral, but it's impractical. It, well, it's just not going to work. I was going to say, if you're a parent or if you have a parent that doesn't believe, I why would they even go that route? That seems to me like it would yeah. confuse their child more than anything if they're if they're. It living, absolutely will you know, for sure. If I'm a parent and I don't believe, but I tell my child, "Oh, that person went to heaven" or whatever, right. that's sending mixed messages too. I mean, that's, right? And basically, what she's saying is pretend you believe until your kids are older. Well, we seem to have a frozen screen here. Oh, no. I hope that didn't affect our other oh, yeah. recording, but no, it's always something. We'll see what it? happens with the. No, that's Looks like the audio's still rolling, right? Yeah, so I guess so. We'll see if we do what we do and doggone it. Shouldn't have used my computer. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe we that'll experiment. come back. Maybe that'll come back. It might just be an audio podcast. Wor worst case scenario, <laughs> we're all audio today. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'm gonna keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hello. We'll see if video. that comes back and we'll try not to destroy the audio in the process. Well, so, so anyway. So this is great, you know, we yeah. can we can we can do whatever we want. Nobody right. can see us. You, you pick, didn't pick see your nose anything. in the middle of the podcast, and nobody will know. So anyway, not recommended. We're still sitting together. So, so very close, as we've. <laughs> very close. Um, I guess kind of tying into that, you you had brought up some questions to me that we might talk about, and I guess kind of tying into that, um, I guess this would be for for older children. But if you if you grew up in a household with godless parents, then this you know this passage that we read here. Um, in Ephesians, and it's it's one of the commandments is to honor your father and mother. Right. But if yeah. you grew up in a household with with godless parents, then where do you draw the line if you then become a believer? How do you how do you honor them or even obey them if you're still living in that in the household, um, knowing knowing that what you believe is completely different from what they believe. Yeah, that that is a really good point that I think the PragerU video, you know, inadvertently, unintentionally brings up. So before we before we answer that, let me read the passage that we're talking about from Sunday's sermon and the core reality that we were looking at just as a foundation and then mm -hmm. we can can come back to that question uh, because I think it is crucial for us to recognize. So we're looking at Ephesians chapter six verses 1 through 4, um, and it, it's building off of it, the, the statement in Ephesians 5.21 where Paul says to the church, having established this whole idea of uh, living a life worthy of the calling that you've received, being imitators of God, uh, and, and not living like who you were in the flesh, but living like who you are in Christ, so that we are being careful not to to waste our days, not to live as unwise, but as wise, and make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil, uh, and, and to understand what the Lord's will is. And he wraps that up by saying, submit to one another, this is 521, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that's the general uh, expectation of the attitude of believers toward one another within the church. Have an attitude 
of deference, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we don't do this because we're forced to, we do it out of reverence for Christ, for the, for the sake and the name of Jesus, and we, we want to bring honor and glory to him. And then he goes into this section of kind of fleshing that out. So he talks about uh, wives and their husbands and how uh, their specific roles uh, are designed to be able to, to portray the image, the, um, this cosmic drama I often refer to. It. I probably stole that from somebody. I, I don't know who, but I'm sure I did because I don't have original thoughts. Um, but, Nobody does. But the, uh, the idea that this mystery is Christ in the church, that marriage portrays Christ in the, the husband playing that role, and uh, it, marriage portrays the church and the wife playing that role. Uh, but the, the practical reality is that we still, husbands must love their wives, and uh, wives must respect their husbands. So that there's the practical application of it, but there's a bigger picture. And that's one of the things that Paul's always getting across to us is it's not about just this. It's right. this in the context of internal reality that we need to see. So then he continues with that same idea of submit to one another out of reverence for Christ in chapter 6, saying children, talking now children and parents, you've got roles as well. Uh, and yet all of us, husbands, wives, children, parents, masters, slaves, Jew and Gentile, all of us are, are equal. We are, are equal in value. We are one body when we are united in Christ. Uh, when we are united to Christ, that makes us united in Christ. But by God's, by God's design, uh, each of us have received different gifts, different roles, different positions as Christ has apportioned grace to us. So children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. And he's taking that from Exodus and Leviticus as we look at the Ten Commandments, and, and that's pretty huge, right? Uh, then he continues, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Uh, older translations might say, do not provoke your children mm -hmm. to anger. Uh, instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I was going to default to the King James in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So there's, um, there is the proactive training. There's the, the reactive, um, corrective discipline that goes along with that. So this is, this is a, a a dual necessity in the training that parents have for their children. We want to teach them the right way when they're not going the right way, we want to bring them back to the right way, uh, and, and it's a... It seems the, like it's a fine line, because... It can from, be, from yeah. exasperation to obedience, yeah, you know, it, if, it, if, they're not obe if they're not obeying, you know. And it, and it helps when we, as parents, remember that this is in the context of all of us right. having an attitude of submission toward one another, and if we look at this along with Philippians 2, which we read in, in previous podcasts, I won't take time for that today, but in Philippians 2, we see the, the mindset of Christ that we're called to, he being one with God, in essence, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, to be used to his own advantage, but rather uh, he submitted himself the son submitted to the will of the father, humbled himself, emptied himself, became uh, became a man, became a, a you know a servant, a slave, uh, even in his obedience to the point of death on a cross, uh, in the most ignominious and humiliating, aside from the physically miserable death that you could possibly have. So as he's doing all of this, this is the mindset, the attitude that we're supposed to have. If we have parent, as parents have that attitude that we're here not for ourselves uh, and not for any secular purpose, but to glorify God, to uh, reflect the reality of Christ in our relationship with our children and to, to raise them up purposefully in the training and instruction of the Lord, then that helps direct and helps keep us from that. We're not going to get a perfect uh, but but we you know none of us had perfect parents none of us are perfect parents but we want to be able to press forward and so as we were looking at this on Sunday we were talking about the core reality that the ordered roles of the family are God's training ground for real life in Christ so our just as as husband and wife depict Christ in the church our job as parents and specifically as fathers he mentions fathers 
Uh, that word does specifically technically mean fathers, but it's also used in, in other passages as well for parents in general, for, for mothers and fathers both. Um, but in any case, as we're looking at this, it, our, our role is to raise them up in Christ mm -hmm. so that we are providing them with every advantage that they can have to know the truth, to want the truth, to love the truth, and to choose the truth so that later they'll, they'll be able to live by the truth. As we present them with these with these opportunities, I don't know if that's the right way to say that or not, but, but as we raise our children to understand reality from the perspective of God is the heart, the center, the soul, the source of all reality, all goodness and godliness is defined by his character rather than, you know, here's God over here in, in our religious box and then there's the rest of right, life over right, here right. in another box. When we, when we raise our children to understand that the commands of the Lord are good and altogether righteous, that he is the creator of all things and that he himself and he alone determines what is right and good and true and acceptable. And he has the authority and right as the creator to do as he pleases. Then we are setting them up to be able to understand rightly what gives life and what takes life away. And so our children have to make their own choices. We can't, right. you know, by, you know, we can't baptize them as infants or dedicate them as infants or send them to Sunday school and just expect, well, now it's automatic. They're all, yeah. You know, there's, they're, they're good. This is not, uh, not something that we control like, uh, you know, a recipe in cooking. If I put this right. in and I bake for this long, this is how it's going to turn out. Um, our, God gave our children, just like he gave us, individual brains. And by God's grace, his spirit is what makes the difference. Mm -hmm. So we need to be modeling, teaching, praying for our children, and keeping them connected to the body of Christ so that they are understanding that this isn't, the church isn't some you know, external group that right. that is, you know, making our lives miserable and getting up in our business. We are the church. We're in this together. And there's a centrality of body life that we we don't tolerate, but we we long for and we thrive in so that uh, our children understand that and they're able to um, to see, understand and embrace the life that God's called us to. I think when, when you talk about children in any context, your mind automatically goes to, you know, young children. But yeah. the reality is we're all children. So, uh, and I think in our church, and I think this is, I don't know, you'd have to look up statistics. I think it's common for churches in general in the country to have uh, quite a few older individuals, maybe with grown children sure. out of the house, whatever. So I don't want to discount those people because maybe they just came to Christ later in their life, maybe they're just hearing things in this, from this perspective or, or seeing things with a new perspective for the first time and they think, well, I didn't raise my kids right, I, I kind of blew it, I didn't you know, do what I was supposed to. So if, they, if, if you're somebody with grown children and you're bearing the brunt of the guilt that you didn't do what you were supposed to, how do you handle that if your yeah. kids are, are out of the house or I mean I feel very fortunate that I my son is three and you know I I have this opportunity to to raise him the right way hopefully uh, if I don't screw it up too bad <laughs> but um, you know if he was 25 and that'd be a different story if I didn't hadn't done things the right way and right. I can see I can see how a lot of parents of older kids might have some guilt about that so sure. and, and like you just said kids end up making their own choices, especially when they reach adulthood. Right. You can't force them to, you know, believe one thing or another, but but what can you do if you feel like, man, I really messed up when they were right. kids? Yeah, because we can't we also can't realistically deny the reality of our influence right. on our choices. Right. And so I mean we can see that from from secular statistics. Mm -hmm. uh, and I I've, I've mentioned this a number of times that you know, children of divorce get divorced. Children of, of smokers smoke. Children of alcoholics. Uh, it usually alcoholics. seems to go one way or another. Yeah, like, and, and to, very to often, right. just this is just my observation, not uh, any kind of actual formal statistics, but just anecdotally, what 
what I've observed over and over and over again in schools, um, when I was doing a lot of substitute teaching, I was in elementary and high school, and the same kids who in third and fourth grade are learning don't do drugs and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. they are absolutely, I will never smoke. My parents right. smoke, it's right. the worst right. thing. My only desire is for my parents to quit smoking or quit doing whatever right, it is right. and they recognize that they don't want anything to do with it those same kids by the time they're 13 14 years old are trying to figure this out and they end up doing it right then by 18 they're addicted to it right. you know they're they're into these situations I see my mom you know uh, my parents are divorced I'm being raised by a single mom my mom's trying to fill her own gaps with boyfriends and so on and so forth and so you know, I, I hate that. I don't want anything to do with that. I'll never be like that. And then I end up being exactly like that. Mm -hmm. And it, it happens over it's and over It's perpetuating the cycle. Right. And, and a lot of times I, I do hate it, but it's it's all I know. Right. It's almost and like so a security blanket. It does, thing. Yeah, it does become kind of a defense mechanism. Right. And, and and very often we don't even realize right. that we're doing it. And then, you know, 20 years down the road, how did I get here? You know? Right. And, and so I think that kind of comes back to you know both the, um, the 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 question that the PragerU video presents right, to right. us of, of faking it when it's not really who you are uh, you don't really believe this um, and then also to the question that you brought up earlier how do I you know as a if I'm dealing with a godless parent mm -hmm. and I hope I'm not conflating questions here so if I'm doing that no I think they all kind of tie into in each mind, other right that, you know if I'm doing that correct me and get me back but you know how do I how do I submit to a parent who doesn't believe right. you know once I and, and I think this becomes a real problem for um, kids who are not being raised in Christian homes but through whatever means youth groups or, or friends or whatever um, come to Christ in middle school or high school you mm -hmm. know or, or you know it's a little different when you're out of school in young adulthood but but if you come to Christ when you're in that already awkward phase of starting to develop independence starting to branch out into your own world and you now have come to realize Jesus Christ is the center of everything and he needs to now be the center of my everything and you've uh, been born again and, and everything seems awesome but your parents don't share that now what when when your parents tolerate it for a while maybe even are excited for a little while because they think it's going to make you a perfect child uh, which of course it doesn't and if it did then it would make more sense for them to choose it but they don't so now your parents have a lifestyle and I'm not even suggesting we're talking about the the overtly ungodly people right. but but their priorities for your life are not the same as Christ's priorities right. for your life. Therefore, if you're choosing Christ's priorities for your life, you very often find, can find yourself at odds mm -hmm. with your with your parents, right. um, where they don't understand a commitment to any number of things, to, to submitting to authority, to sexual purity, to choosing, um, to choosing Christ over career. So now uh, I decide, instead of going into this, um, career field that, that we talked about as I'm choosing a college, you know what, maybe the Lord's calling me to ministry or, or the mission field or whatever else, and I'm willing to give up some things to pursue Christ. That's hard for parents to swallow sometimes. Right. So now how do I, as this, as the subordinate, if I, if I can use that term, um, how do I honor my parents and obey my parents and not dishonor myself and the Lord in the process. Mm. I think that's a tough thing to do. And um, I guess my best uh, suggestion for that would be to look at the whole of uh, the whole of this passage and the whole of the Bible and, and look at this idea of submitting to authority in light of what God's calling us to. Mm. So it, as a child to a parent, I should also be looking to what about a, a, a wife to a husband right. when that husband does not accurately represent Christ. Right. Uh, maybe it's a believing wife and an unbelieving husband. And Paul addresses that pretty specifically in, in his letter to the Corinthians and, and uh, elsewhere. Uh, you know, we see, you know, Peter deals with that. Uh, and Peter specifically says in that situation, rather than 
divorcing your husband or, or whatever else, you need to go above and beyond to submit in this way so that by your, your character, the Christ-like submission that you're demonstrating, you might, without words, right. win him to Christ by your character. You know what that reminds me of just popped in my head. Have you ever seen the movie, The Case for Christ? I have not seen the movie. I've seen clips of it. Very but good. But that reminds me, I'm not going to remember her name, but Lee Strobel's wife yeah. um, was kind of that way. And, yeah. you know, she was a very... I heard him talk about it in an interview. Yeah, yeah. she. I mean, she was a believer. She, she knew, obviously, he wasn't. And she didn't, you know, bash him over the head with it, but she was unapologetic right. about her faith, and she prayed for him, and she she handled her role yeah. very well. And throughout the movie, even when he wavered, and when you know, and then at the end, obviously, it shows. I think this moment in the movie, spoiler alert, it came out like ten years ago, um, <laughs> in the book before that. I think it really is ten years ago. Yeah, I think it like is. Um, Gosh, it's still a very I'm good movie. Older by the second. Um, but they have this, you know, beautiful moment where they're sitting on the couch together, and he he admits to her that he believes, mm. and they they pray together, and it's like, wow, she has been. I mean, he is dealing with his own things, and he's done all this work and research and everything, but she has been there the whole time, yeah. unwavering, and being playing the role of the wife that she's supposed to play, and it's just it's it's really great to see how when when you're when you do what you're supposed to do. Yeah. This is what it looks like. And, and if I remember the story correctly, and, and uh, again, I didn't see the film, but if I remember the story correctly, she was unwilling to compromise on spiritual matters. Like right. She would yes. not, she would not no, she disobey God, yeah, right. but her general demeanor toward him was uh, submissive, loving, putting right. him and first. And it's interesting because now that I'm thinking about it, I think they were both atheists in the beginning and her their child was choking and a woman gave her their child the Heimlich maneuver I don't know if all this is true I'm assuming since it's based on the book it is they were in a restaurant their child was choking and a woman came and gave their child the Heimlich maneuver and the woman woman then invited the wife to church Mm -hmm. and so she started going to church she became a Christian and but then she became a Christian like she was all (laughs) yeah that was my understanding was that they they married as unbelievers. Yes. She became a believer. She, I mean, she was all He became in. angry about yes. her being a believer. Yes. Yes. And her winsome demeanor, her, her winsome way of, of walking out her faith yes. won him over even more that he did all the research and he couldn't get away from the inescapable truths right. that he discovered. But what really made the difference was her reflection of Christ's character right. through that relationship. And kind of circling back to where we started here as far as for as far as parents, again, doing more than talking yeah. makes makes a bigger impact, I think. Especially, no, I think you're especially right. with kids. And, and we see that in the negative as well, as I mentioned yes, earlier, yes. those statistics. And that's why the faking it can't it, it, it doesn't work. Right. It it never works. And the reason it doesn't work is Again, kids get it, but I can't... Kids are like dogs. They have like a good intuition about those things. I can't consistently over time demonstrate what amounts to the fruit of the Spirit without the Spirit producing that fruit. Right. I can come up with a number of acts, but when the, the, the rubber meets the road, my pretending to be a believer won't carry out. It won't, right. it, it won't wash. So that's pretty significant. And... One way or another, our personal behaviors and beliefs get passed on, mm-hmm. and most values, uh, to borrow an old adage, are, values are more often caught than taught. Right. So what they see in us is what they will reproduce. And generally speaking, our children will reproduce that at an exaggerated level. So if I cuss a little bit, my kids right. are going to cuss a lot. Right. You know, if I'm a little bit crass, my kids are going to go over the top. If I'm, you know, if I'm, uh, you know, dedicated to my career, my kids are going to go farther with it. You know, there's a lot of things that that are going to come out that way. Um, and so, if I'm, you know, if I'm a people pleaser and I just want to go along to get along, my children end up doing that same thing and very often become codependent because. They don't know how to handle conflict, and and, and again, they they're mirrors of us, but they're like funhouse mirrors. It's mm. going to be exaggerated that's a good, that's and a good, distorted. Uh, analogy. So, uh, and and we need to recognize that our job is really to be a mirror of Christ, and when we reflect the reality of who He is in in all of its fullness, 
We can't fake that. We can't fake his reflection. So if, if we give a... Um, if we give a distorted, exaggerated, funhouse mirror reflection of who Christ is, then we're going to be misleading our children. Right. And we, we can't afford that. Right. This is too crucial. It's too important. And God has ordered the roles of the family. He's designed this the way he did on purpose for his own plans so that in the context of family, we're able to use the roles, the, the authority and submission that's built into that, as it is in every other aspect of life, to be a, a kind of training ground for the, the eternal realities so that we can pass on to our children not just the ability to live out the American dream, mm -hmm. whatever that's defined as today, uh, which is clearly different than it used to be, um, not just so we can get them a better education, a better economic standing, and, and they can live a happier life, but so that they can be in, in touch with and aligned with the reality of God amidst their everyday experiences of the realities of life. So in our example and in our teaching, both our words and our actions, we need to present as best we can the consistency of that, to connect the reality of God to the realities of life. And if we're not living that consistently, no amount of teaching is going to be able to do that. I think that's one of the reasons that we've seen so many over the years. This, I mean, it's almost proverbial when we see kids get out of high school and they leave the church. They grew up in the church and then they leave. And they say seven out of ten kids leave the church upon graduation and three of those may return. But, but for the most part, that... Those are that's a that's a downward spiral as far right, as right. numbers of people in the faith, and I think the biggest reason for that is parents who have had their kids connected to church. We have, on on one level, we have entrusted our children's spiritual nurturing, their spiritual upbringing to others. We're going to let the clergy take care of that. We're going to hand them over to a youth pastor or a children's teacher, and it's their job to teach them about the Lord. Uh, on the other uh, level, we have not lived it. So we go to church, they learn the things, we memorize this, especially if you live in a, in a situation where or maybe you're in a mainline church or you know a, a more of a high church kind of thing and, and you're memorizing the creeds and you're going through catechism and confirmation and you do all these things and you've heard all the words, but you don't see it lived out in your parents, you know, that, that's a huge, huge impact. As parents, when we give our children a reason to want it, they, they see us living a life that is, you know, like Lee Strobel's wife. It's right. winsome. Boy, I want to be like mom. I want to be like dad. I want to grow up to have the kind of love that mom and dad have for each other. I want to be the kind of Christ follower that, that my faithful mom and my dad or my grandma and grandpa or my uncle aunt when we give them a reason an example that's a, a reason to want to choose it that does an awful lot hmm. as far as overcoming the the struggles and and the humility that it takes to admit when we're wrong that's tough for parents sure, to yeah. be it's one thing when they're little we, you know we, we tend to be um, much more gracious when they're little but when they're teenagers and we start to think of them more uh, in as much as kids struggle with the teenage years because they're somewhere in between the now and the not yet in right. between being a kid and being a grown-up right. and they think they're grown-ups but they're really nowhere near grown-ups and they you know, you know they want stuff but they think they're independent and all that it's at least as hard for parents because we still see them right. in in that now and not yet. We, we want responsibility from them that they're not yet quite capable of giving. We're training them in that direction. And very often we haven't equipped them. We haven't trained them mm -hmm. to, to that yet. But, but even if we do, we're, we're seeing them expecting adult behaviors and yet still thinking of them as children. Right. And that puts it in a, in a very awkward and precarious position for both parent and child. And the more we recognize that, the more we're able to address it and deal with it. But it is, it's tough. You, I, you mentioned earlier, I think during the podcast, it might have been when we were talking before, I can't remember, um, this idea of when we come to Christ late, mm -hmm. 
Mm. You know, and, and we didn't do it. We blew it right. along the way. And maybe we raised them well, but we didn't raise them in the training and instruction of the Lord. Right. You know, we, we taught them to be good citizens, pay their taxes, you know, you know, be respectful of police officers and all that kind of stuff. But we didn't teach them that Christ is everything. Hmm. Now what? Right. Because they have developed, when they get to the teenage years or adult years, especially, you know, when they're already grown, how do we, how do we show them that? I think the best way, honestly, is the same as anything else, the same as any other walk of life, just like we see with Lee Strobel and his wife. Uh, When you see the change in me, and it's not some superficial change, I'm not doing this to please somebody else, but my understanding of reality has fundamentally shifted. Mm -hmm. And now because of that, my attitude, my demeanor, my values, my priorities, you know, I go from a place where maybe, you know, we were a good using my air quotes here, uh, we were a good American patriotic family and, and, you know, mom and dad held down a job and all that kind of stuff. And so we have an admirable life that people look at us from outside and say, yeah, that's a good, those are good people, salt of the earth. We want to be like them. Uh, and then we come to Christ and realized all of this, all this stuff as Paul said, I, I consider it rubbish. I consider it loss. This is like dumb compared to the reality of the surpassing glory of knowing Christ. When that change happens in us and we let our children see it, we don't say, okay, now all of a sudden, because something's changed in me, whoop, we're going to flip this right. ship around right. and, and, you know, that's not good for anybody. Right. But when they see that legitimate change in my life, and we have a conversation. When they're older, right. we can have different levels of conversation. And say, look, I, I don't take back the values that I taught you, but I missed out on the most important thing because I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. We can only teach what we know, right? right? We can only go, we can only lead someone where we're actually going ourselves. Right. So I didn't, I didn't get it before. But I'm here to tell you what has happened to me. And we share our own personal testimony with our kids. I think that's huge when, mm-hmm. when they get to see that. And, and we can even say, look, this is going to be uncomfortable for a while because the standards of our household are changing right. because I'm changing. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Now, you're going to have to make these decisions for yourself, but these are the standards by which our family will now walk. Mm. Therefore, this no longer happens in our home. And that might be a shock for them. Or maybe, you know, we did a lot of activities on Sunday morning because in our world today, uh, in the post-Christian America, as some are calling it, uh, there are a lot of things that are stacked on Sunday mornings because that's the available time and um, because everything else is important and church isn't. And now all of a sudden, we don't do those things anymore because church becomes central to everything in my life. Um, when, when that reality hits, that can be awkward. That can be difficult um, and, and even potentially contentious in the family. But I have to winsomely stand my ground, say, you know, kids don't make decisions for how the family gets right, run. Right. I'm not trying to wreck your life. I'm telling you, this is now how we operate. And you will not be doing these things on Sunday morning. We will be going to church together. No, you don't get a choice about it. You get a choice about what you're going to do with it. But I'm telling you, we're a family. We're going to go to church together, and they'll balk about it for a while. But when it's something you're dragging them to, and they sense that you're dragging yourself to it, rather than you have realized this is life, and you love it, and I'm prioritizing this because it's truly more important than whatever else is going on. Not just sacrificing their things, (laughs) but sacrificing my own things. Now that becomes something that gets their attention. They see that change. And I'm not going to pretend that it's easy, but it has to be real. And that's why I think this whole fake it idea, that is something that can really only be said by someone who doesn't know Christ. Because if you don't know Christ, you can see this all as religion. 0.0 sense to me. Right. You know, and and I, 
I think that we recognize that in most areas of life, you know. Um, Things make zero point zero sense. Well, that too, that too. <laughs> but I think we no, recognize it, yeah. in most areas of life that faking it is not a viable long-term solution. Right, right. It's just not. Right. So I don't know why we would think that that's the case when we're talking about the most important things in life, right. which is why you would have to say that. Because right. you, when we're dealing with the big issues, a secular worldview does not provide appropriate, uh, viable, life-giving answers. Sure. So then I have to fake it to be able to come up with answers right. to the most important questions of life then maybe I should be recognizing I need to get right. a hold of this right. as well. Not again, not not a religious thing where we come up with some crutch that helps me to fake my way through life, mm -hmm. fake it till you make it, and, right. and all this positive believing garbage. But the the reality of wait a minute, if there is a God, then I better reevaluate everything in light of that. Mm -hmm. And if there isn't then faking it doesn't make sense. And a lot of the things we do don't make sense. Right, right. So anyway. Well, we're super over time. <laughs> so I'm going to stop there. We there's I feel like there's see the problem with my computer is it doesn't tell you in a time in a way that you can actually oh, read yeah, that's right. that you're over time. But we are, so we're going to stop. Yeah, cuz I thought we were like 15 minutes. Actually. Nope. Uh we're like oh, close to 50. <laughs> no kidding. So, there's that. So, uh, so apologies. I really can talk for an hour. You can. Apologies for the uh, video situation. We'll we'll make it known that audio is all that's going to be available this week. But uh, thank you guys for listening as always. And we had more questions to get to. I feel like there are countless questions on this subject. For um, sure. So what what we're going to do uh, moving forward is try to pose. Uh, some questions, not, not even that. Ask anyone if they have questions ahead of time before we record, usually on Tuesdays. So we'll we'll try to get a prompt out there on Mondays on our social media sites and things like that. So if anybody has questions about what we're going to be talking about, um, you can put those on there. So we'll make sure to get your questions in and uh, Rich will answer them. <laughs> uh, but other than that, yeah, if you guys do have any questions, feel free to uh, get on our social media sites on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter, or you can send us an email at somethingreal at reallifeonline.org or leave us a voicemail at 269-756-RLCC or through the Anchor app if you use that to get your podcasts. And I think that's all I have. Stacy mentioned that it's usually on Tuesday, and you might notice this is coming a little late to you right, right now. That was, as we had I some said, big storms roll through our area earlier in the yeah. week, and so we were without power and internet and so on. And here we are. But Here we are. Power is back. Air conditioning is good. Rock and roll. Thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you next time.